Welcome back. Um, we're here today again to talk about the second portion of the interstitial lung disease talk. And today we're pretty much going to f- focus on uh, usual interstitial pneumonia and the imaging characteristics we see with usual interstitial pneumonia. There's a wide diagnosis or differential diagnosis for the UIP type pattern. When we don't know the cause of it, we call it idiopathic IPF. And again, as um, we said on the earlier lecture, we as radiologists really shouldn't make the diagnosis of IPF, but more tell the description of what kind of imaging pattern we see. Other causes of a UIP type pattern include collagen vascular diseases, especially rheumatoid arthritis and scleroderma. Those are the more common ones that give you a UIP type pattern. Asbestos, chronic HP can have some overlap with the UIP type pattern. Chronic drug reactions. There's an unusual presentation for familial pulmonary fibrosis. It doesn't always look like your normal pattern of UIP. And then there is overlap with what we know as fibrotic NSIP. So when we talk about the clinical presentation of somebody with um, idiopathic pulmonary fibrosis, typically they tend to be um, male predominant in an older age group. Usually somebody we see um, the presentation coming in their late 60s, early 70s with a large amount of restrictive lung disease. Um, They usually have a positive smoking history. About 75% of um, patients with IPF have a strong um, prior smoking history, and survival is typically better in those patients that have not um, had a positive smoking history. Usually it's a pretty gradual onset, and unfortunately we don't see these patients um, present to clinic until their lung restriction is much worse, so it's a very difficult disease to treat. On radiology, the distribution, we're really looking for a lower low predominant process. And it tends to always involve the peripheral parts of the lungs. So the findings we really want to focus on is whether there's reticulations, traction bronchiectasis, honeycombing, and there should be a relative paucity of ground glass opacities seen within the lungs. So this is our first case. We're going to start with just some plain radiographs. This is a 61-year-old gentleman who um, came in with progressive dyspnea. On on his history, he had actually had um, shortness of breath that was um, gradually increasing. And we see on these radiographs on the frontal view, there's quite a bit of volume loss um, seen in those lower lobes. We can see that the inferior hyla um, are being tucked down as the lung volumes are decreasing and there's a lot of reticulation and almost a bubbly appearance or what we like to call bronchiectasis. On the lateral view you you can see that a lot of the reticulation and more cystic appearing look we see involving the posterior sulci. The correlation of this on CT is um, when we look at these MINEP images we see that there's um, a lower low predominant bronchiectasis that extends out to the periphery of the lungs um, with areas of peripheral reticulation. On the lateral view, we can really see areas of early honeycombing starting in the posterior sulci, um, or concentrated primarily in the posterior sulci. This is a very, very classic look for a UIP type pattern uh, secondary to, uh, to IPF. So the prior case we saw was a very classic appearance of UIP. The next case um, I'm going to show you is a a presentation of a UIP-type pattern that's not as prominent as we saw in the last one. So on the radiograph on the 
left, we see that there is a little bit of volume loss. You can see the hyla are being tucked down and pulled medially. And we can tell that there's some fine reticulation um, in the lower lobes. On the correlate for the CT, we see that there are areas of traction bronchiectasis, but the very key thing here is we see mostly peripheral reticulation. And maybe, maybe on this one image, we can see some early honeycombing, especially along the left diaphragmatic surfaces. When we look at the correlation of the lateral radiograph, we see that all we really see is, is increased density over the region of the posterior sulci. But when you take the correlation for CT, we see that there is quite a bit of reticulation and some areas of bronchiectasis, but not a lot of honeycombing um, that we classically see. And this is a more early presentation of a, a UIP or IPF uh, pattern. Again, this is just very classic look for um, a typical UIP type pattern. So again, it's a lower low predominant process. We see areas of peripheral reticulation. Um, there are some areas of traction bronchiectasis and some potential areas of honeycombing, especially on the image on the right, uh, excuse me, um, the right upper portion of these four images. You can see areas of cysts stacked on top of cysts, but it involves the bilateral lung bases and it is a symmetric process. Of note, there's really not a lot of ground glass opacities, which is one of the things that we're looking for with a UIP type pattern. So honeycombing is um, the diagnostic feature that we really want to see um, to slam dunk the diagnosis of a UIP type pattern. Um, we see it in 70 to 80 percent of cases of UIP and it is the strongest predictor of a UIP type histology. Um, interestingly, um, you, uh, honeycombing with UIP is more the end stage part of UIP. So once you hit the honeycombing stage, your mortality is about 2.1 years. UIP without honeycombing is the earlier stage of UIP, and the survival after that is a pro or at that point is about six years. So in 2011, uh, the American Thoracic Society and European uh, Thoracic Societies um, came up with an algorithm that clinicians should follow in a patient with suspected IPF. First, what they need to do is figure out is whether there's any other identifiable causes for the interstitial lung disease, whether the patient has risk factors for collagen vascular disease, prior exposures to asbestos. If they can't find any other, if they have another identifiable cause, it's not IPF by definition. So we classify that as not IPF. But if there is no unidentifiable cause, then they move to high-resolution CT. And at that point, this is where the radiologists can um, come in and play a huge role. So we want to look on the radiographic findings to see if we sleep, see imaging findings that are characteristic or consistent with UIP. If they're consistent with UIP, no identifiable cause, the patient's given the diagnosis of IPF. But if there are some features that are slightly questionable or don't fit the classification for um, UIP, we call it an either possible or inconsistent with UIP, and those are the patients that need to and that need to eventually uh, go for biopsy if further workup is requested. 
So this is an example of a definite UIP type pattern. We see somebody that has a lower low predominant process with peripheral um, reticulations, a relative paucity of ground glass and honeycombing. So we would call this a definite UIP type pattern and this patient would not have to go to biopsy. This is um, some examples of what we might call a possible UIP pattern. On all of these images, we see that on the image on the left, we have areas of bronchiectasis, but there's a little too much ground glass. That's it's a little inconsistent with a UIP type pattern. The image on the um, right, um, right upper part of the slide shows again some definite peripheral reticulation. Everything is hitting the periphery of the lung. Maybe, maybe some start of some bronchiectasis or potential early honeycombing. But again, too much ground glass. And the image on the lower end shows a little bit of mosaicism within the lungs, definitely areas of reticulation, but it's also somewhat patchy in appearance. And then findings which are inconsistent with UIP include um, whether there's it's an upper low predominant process if we see peribronchovascular predominance, um, whether we see too much ground glass, some more ground glass than reticulation, um, nodules, cysts, um, areas of diffuse mosaicism, or consolidations involving segments or lobes. All of these um, imaging features are suggestive for potential other causes of UIP, whether it's a collagen vascular disease, whether it's related to HP, um, or other etiologies. So complications with IPF and with any of the UIP type patterns is respiratory failure. Once a patient is given the diagnosis of IPF, usually the mean survival is somewhere between two and four years because, as I said, it's usually end-stage restriction within the lungs. And unfortunately, there's really no good treatment outside of lung transplantation. Survival second. Er, if you have UIP related to a collagen vascular disease, your survival is much better. Um, about 10 to 20% of these patients will end up with uh, lung cancers, so you have to be very careful and vigilant about screening them. About 10 to 20% of the patients will end up with acute exacerbations um, or accelerated uh, IPF fibrosis stages. And then there's this very weird phenomenon called pulmonary ossification that we see in about 7% of the patients. So this is a, a nice example of how fibrosis progresses in the lung. Um, in 1999, when the patient started having shortness of breath, we see that there are areas of a little bit of peripheral reticulation and maybe some l areas of bronchiectasis starting. But by 2008, as the patient has represented, we see that we've had marked progression of areas of bronchiectasis. We have honeycombing and a lot of reticulation. And as we progress to 2010, we see that some of these cysts are actually getting larger in size. So this is very characteristic of what we see for progressing fibrosis. So as I mentioned before, um, there is an increased incidence of lung cancer with IPF. About 10 to 20 percent of patients with IPF um, will develop a lung cancer if they live long enough. Um, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that there is an increased smoking risk within these patients. This is a nice example of a mucinous BAC that developed over the course of two years from an opacity that didn't go away in somebody with underlying UIP. And it's often very difficult to differentiate areas of fibrosis and inflammation from lung cancer. So these patients, we should really be doing three-month follow-up exams whenever you see a consolidation or nodule that's not going away. There's a phenomenon called 
um, acute exacerbation, which is known as the accelerated phase of IPF. And it's often a diffuse alveolar damage that is superimposed on top of the underlying fibrosis. And it can occur along with organizing pneumonias. And what we'll see is we'll see diffuse um, ground glass typically in the areas of fibrosis, but it's very important to rule out other causes of ground glass, which include both edema and hemorrhage um, and infection in patients um, with IPF before you're given the diagnosis of an acute exacerbation. Once there is no identifiable cause, and we call it accelerated phase, and there's a very high mortality that uh, goes along with it. And then the phenomena, the dendritiform uh, pulmonary ossification, we see that in the lower lobes, typically peripherally, we'll see these areas of little calcifications that are formulating, forming, and they are actually islets of little bone marrow, um, or there are calcifications that have um, bone marrow cells within them, and the clinical significance is not really known. So just again, to kind of hit home, there are IPF is when we don't have a uh, cause for it, but other things that can cause a UIP-type histology, collagen vascular disease, hypersensitivity, pneumonitis, asbestos, and other familial diseases, um, we should always look for um, secondary findings on radiograph. Um, so when you see somebody with underlying interstitial lung disease and you think they have a UIP-type pattern, you should also look for other things that would suggest a different etiology, including whether they're pleural plaques, um, pericardial thickening or effusions to suggest, um, or excuse me, whether there are pleural effusions, pericardial thickening um, to suggest an underlying collagen vascular disease, whether you see the bony changes that go along with collagen vascular disease, esophageal dilation, which we often see with scleroderma and can see with dermatomyositis and myositis um, in areas of increasing ground glass. And, and then other etiologies like pleural plaques when related to asbestos and then um, mosaicism or nodules to suggest an HP pattern. So this is just a nice example of UIP with scleroderma. We have nice um, areas of honeycombing within the lungs, areas of bronchiectasis, relative absence of, excuse me, there is a little more ground glass than we normally see with UIP. And on our soft tissue windows, we can see a nice dilated esophagus, which goes along with scleroderma. This is UIP in rheumatoid arthritis. Um, we see, again, a peripheral predominant pattern with areas, of ground or with areas of ground glass, which is a little atypical for UIP, but areas of early honeycombing as well. And on bony changes, we can see erosions at the level of the right um, humeral head, which goes along with um, a rheumatoid arthritis pattern. So why do we care? Um, about identifying a different cause, it does matter. So there is some conflicting data in the literature, um, but overall it has shown that patients that have UIP related to collagen vas vascular disease tend to have a better survival rate than those with IPF, um, and they respond to treatment a little better. So, but overall, once you have a UIP type histology, whether it's related to collagen vascular disease or um, whether it's related to IPF, they really, the true cure is only transplantation. So we'll stop here and our next lecture will go over nonspecific interstitial pneumonia um, and the imaging findings we see with that histologic pattern.